Section 2 of The Shadows. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to find out how you can volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Catherine Eastman, November 2007. The Shadows by George MacDonald. Section 2. Feeling quite strong, the king rose and walked about amongst them, wrapped in his ermine robe, with his red crown on his head, and his diamond scepter in his hand. Every group of shadows to which he drew near ceased talking as soon as they saw him approach, but at a nod they went on again directly, conversing and relating and commenting, as if no one was there of other kind or of higher rank than themselves. So the king heard a good many stories. At some of them he laughed, and at some of them he cried. But if the stories that the shadows told were printed, they would make a book that no publisher could produce fast enough to satisfy the buyers. I will record some of the things that the king heard, for he told them to me soon after. In fact, I was for some time his private secretary. I made him confess before a week was over, said a gloomy old shadow. But what was the good of that? rejoined a pert young one. That could not undo what was done. Yes, it could. What? Bring the dead back to life? No, but comfort the murderer. I could not bear to see the pitiable misery he was in. He was far happier with the rope around his neck than he was with the purse in his pocket. I saved him from killing himself, too. How did you make him confess? Only by wallowing on the wall a little. How could that make him tell? He knows. The shadow was silent, and the king turned to another, who was preparing to speak. I made a fashionable mother repent. How? broke from several voices, in whose sound was mingled a touch of incredulity. Only by making a little coffin on the wall, was the reply. Did the fashionable mother confess too? She had nothing more to confess than everybody knew. What did everybody know then? that she might have been kissing a living child when she followed a dead one to the grave. The next will fare better. I put a stop to a wedding, said another. Horrid shade, remarked a poetic imp. How, said others, tell us how. Only by throwing a darkness, as if from the branch of a sconce, over the forehead of a fair girl. They are not married yet, and I do not think they will be. But I loved the youth who loved her. How he started! It was a revelation to him. But did it not deceive him? Quite the contrary. But it was only a shadow from the outside, not a shadow coming through from the soul of the girl. Yes, you may say so, but it was all that was wanted to make the meaning of her forehead manifest. Yes, of her whole face, 
which had now and then, in the pauses of his passion, perplexed the youth. All of it, curled nostrils, pouting lips, projecting chin, instantly fell into harmony with that darkness between her eyebrows. The youth understood it in a moment and went home miserable. And they're not married yet. I caught a toper alone over his magnum of port, said a very dark shadow, and didn't I give it him? I made delirium tremens first, and then I settled into a funeral, passing slowly along the length of the opposite wall. I gave him plenty of plumes and mourning coaches, and then I gave him a funeral service, but I could not manage to make the surplice white, which was all the better for such a sinner. The wretch stared till his face passed from purple to grey, and actually left his fifth glass only unfinished, and took refuge with his wife and children in the drawing-room, much to their surprise. I believe he actually drank a cup of tea, and although I have often looked in since, I have never caught him again, drinking alone, at least. But does he drink less? Have you done him any good? I hope so, but I am sorry to say I can't feel sure about it. Humph, 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 grunted various shadow throats. I had such fun once, cried another. I made such game of a young clergyman. You have no right to make game of anyone. Oh, yes, I have, when it is for his good. He used to study his sermons. <laughs> Where do you think? In his study, of course. Where else should it be? Yes and no. Guess again. Out among the faces in the streets? Guess again. In still green places in the country? Guess again. In old books? Guess again. No, no, tell us. In the looking glass. <laughs> he was fair game, fair shadow game. I thought so, and I made such fun of him one night on the wall. He had sense enough to see that it was himself and very like an ape. So he got ashamed turned the mirror with its face to the wall, and thought a little more about his people, and a little less about himself. I was very glad, for, please, your majesty, and here the speaker turned towards the king, we don't like the creatures that live in the mirrors. You call them ghosts, don't you? Before the king could reply, another had commenced. But the story about the clergyman had made the king wish to hear one of the shadow sermons. So he turned him towards a long shadow, who was preaching to a very quiet and listening crowd. He was just concluding his sermon. Therefore, dear shadows, it is the more needful that we love one another as much as we can, because that is not much. We have no such excuse for not loving as mortals have, for we do not die like them. I suppose it is the thought of that death that makes them hate so much. Then again, 
We go to sleep all day, most of us, and not in the night as men do. And you know that we forget everything that happened the night before. Therefore we ought to love well, for the love is short. Ah, dear shadow, whom I love now with all my shadowy soul, I shall not love thee to-morrow eve, I shall not know thee. I shall pass thee in the crowd, and never dream that the shadow whom I now love is near me then. Happy shades, for we only remember our tales until we have told them here, and then they vanish in the shadow churchyard, where we bury only our dead selves. Ah, brethren, who would be a man and remember? Who would be a man and weep? We ought indeed to love one another, for we alone inherit oblivion, we alone are renewed with eternal birth, we alone have no gathered weight of years. I will tell you the awful fate of one shadow who rebelled against his nature and sought to remember the past. He said, I will remember this eve. He fought with the genial influences of kindly sleep when the sun rose on the awful dead day of light. And although he could not keep quite awake, he dreamed of the foregone eve, and he never forgot his dream. Then he tried again the next night, and the next, and the next, and he tempted another shadow to try it with him. But at last their awful fate overtook them, for instead of continuing to be shadows, they began to cast shadows, as foolish men say, and so they thickened and thickened till they vanished out of our world. They are now condemned to walk the earth a man and a woman, with death behind them and memories within them. Ah, brother shades, let us love one another, for we shall soon forget. We are not men, but shadows. The king turned away, and pitied the poor shadows far more than they pitied men. Oh, how we played with a musician one night! exclaimed a shadow in another group, to which the king had first directed a passing thought, and then had stopped to listen. Up and down we went, like the hammers and dampers on his piano. But he took his revenge on us, for after he had watched us for half an hour in the twilight, he rose and went to his instrument and played a shadow dance that fixed us all in sound forever. Each could tell the very notes meant for him, and as long as he played we could not stop, but went on dancing and dancing after the music, just as the magician, I mean the musician, pleased. 
and he punished us well, for he nearly danced us all off our legs and out of shape into tired heaps of collapsed and palpitating darkness. We won't go near him for some time again, if we can only remember it. He had been very miserable all day, he was so poor, and we could not think of any way of comforting him except making him laugh. We did not succeed with our wildest efforts, but it turned out better than we had expected after all, for his shadow dance got him into notice, and he is quite popular now, making money fast. If he does not take care, we shall have other work to do with him by and by, poor fellow. I and some others did the same for a poor playwriter once. He had a Christmas piece to write, and not being an original genius, it was not so easy for him to find a subject as it is for most of his class. I saw the trouble he was in, and collecting a few stray shadows, we acted, in dumb show, of course, the funniest bit of nonsense we could think of, and it was quite successful. The poor fellow watched every motion, roaring with laughter at us, and delight at the ideas we put into his head. He turned it all into words and scenes and actions, and the piece came off with a splendid success. But how long we have to look for a chance of doing anything worth doing, said a long, thin, especially lugubrious shadow. I have only done one thing worth telling ever since we met last, but I am proud of that. What was it? What was it? rose from twenty voices. I crept into a dining-room one twilight, soon after Christmas Day. I had been drawn thither by the glow of a bright fire shining through red window-curtains. At first I thought there was no one there, and was on the point of leaving the room and going out again into the snowy street, when I suddenly caught the sparkle of eyes. I found that they belonged to a little boy who lay very still on a sofa. I crept into a dark corner by the sideboard and watched him. He seemed very sad and did nothing but stare into the fire. At last he sighed out, I wish Mamma would come home. Poor boy, thought I, there is no help for that but Mamma. Yet I would try to while away the time for him. So, out of my corner, I stretched a long shadow arm, reaching all across the ceiling, and pretended to make a grab at him. He was rather frightened at first, but he was a brave boy, and soon saw that it was all a joke. So when I did it again, he made a clutch at me, and then we had such fun. For though he often sighed and wished Mamma would come home, he always began again with me, and on we went with the wildest game. At last his mother's knock came to the door, and, starting up in delight, 
he rushed into the hall to meet her, and forgot all about poor black me. But I did not mind that in the least, for when I glided out after him into the hall, I was well repaid for my trouble by hearing his mother say to him, Why, Charlie, my dear, you look ever so much better since I left you. At that moment I slipped through the closing door, and as I ran across the snow, I heard the mother say, What shadow can that be passing so quickly? And Charlie answered with a merry laugh, Oh, Mama, I suppose it must be the funny shadow that has been playing such games with me all the time you were out. As soon as the door was shut, I crept along the wall and looked in at the dining-room window, and I heard his mamma say as she led him into the room, What an imagination the boy has! Ha, ha, ha! Then she looked at him, and the tears came in her eyes, and she stooped down over him, and I heard the sounds of a mingling kiss and sob. I always look for nurseries full of children, said another, and this winter I have been very fortunate. I am sure children belong especially to us. One evening, looking about in a great city, I saw through the window into a large nursery, where the odious gas had not yet been lighted. Round the fire sat a company of the most delightful children I had ever seen. They were waiting patiently for their tea. It was too good an opportunity to be lost. I hurried away, and gathering together twenty of the best shadows I could find, returned in a few moments, and entering the nursery, we danced on the walls one of our best dances. To be sure, it was mostly extemporized, but I managed to keep it in harmony by singing this song, which I made as we went on. Of course the children could not hear it, they only saw the motions that answered to it, but with them they seemed to be very much delighted indeed, as I shall presently prove to you. This was the song. Swing, swang, swingle, swath, flicker, flacker, fling, fluff. Thus we go, to and fro, here and there, everywhere. Born and bred, never dead, only gone. On, come on, looming, glooming, spreading, fuming, shattering, scattering, parting, darting, settling, starting, all our life is a strife and a wearying for rest on the darkness friendly breast joining splitting rising sitting laughing shaking sides all aching grumbling grim and gruff swingle swangle swaff now a knot of darkness now dissolved gloom now a pall of blackness Hiding all the room, flicker, flacker, fluff, black and black enough. Dancing now like demons, lying like the dead, gladly would we stop it and go down to bed. 
but our work we still must do shadow men as well as you rooting rising shooting heaving sinking creeping hid in corners crooning splitting poking leaping gathering towering swooning when we're lurking yet we're working for our labor we must do shadow men as well as you flicker flacker fling fluff swing swang swingle swuff how thick the shadows are said one of the children a thoughtful little girl i wonder where they come from said a dreamy little boy i think they grow out of the wall answered the little girl for i have been watching them come first one and then another and then a whole lot of them i am sure they grow out of the walls perhaps they have papas and mamas said an older boy with a smile yes yes and the doctor brings them in his pocket said another a consequential little maiden no i'll tell you said the older boy they're ghosts but ghosts are white oh but these have got black coming down the chimney no said a curious-looking white-faced boy of fourteen who had been reading by the firelight and had stopped to hear the little ones talk they're body ghosts they're not soul ghosts a silence followed broken by the first the dreamy-eyed boy who said i hope they didn't make me at which they all burst out laughing just then the nurse brought in their tea and when she proceeded to light the gas we vanished i stopped a murder cried another how 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 i will tell you i had been lurking about a sick room for some time where a miser lay apparently dying i did not like the place at all but i felt as if i should be wanted there there were plenty of lurking places about for the room was full of all sorts of old furniture especially cabinets chests and presses i believe he had in that room every bit of the property he had spent a long life in gathering i found that he had gold and gold in those places for one night when his nurse was away he crept out of bed mumbling and shaking and managed to open one of the chests though he nearly fell down with the effort i was peeping over his shoulder and such a gleam of gold fell upon me that it nearly killed me but hearing his nurse coming he slammed the lid down and i recovered i tried very hard but i could not do him any good for although i made all sorts of shapes on the walls and ceilings representing evil deeds that he had done of which there were plenty to choose from i could make no shapes on his brain or conscience he had no eyes for anything but gold and it so happened that his nurse had neither eyes nor heart for anything else either one day as she was seated beside his bed but where he could not see her stirring some gruel in a basin to cool it for him 
I saw her take a little phial from her bosom, and I knew by the expression of her face both what it was and what she was going to do with it. Fortunately, the cork was a little hard to get out, and this gave me one moment to think. The room was so crowded with all sorts of things that although there were no curtains on the four-post bed to hide from the miser the sight of his precious treasures, there was yet but one small part of the ceiling suitable for casting myself upon in the shape I wished to assume, and this spot was hard to reach. But having discovered that upon this very place lay a dull gleam of firelight thrown from a strange old dusty mirror that stood away in some corner, I got in front of the fire, spied where the mirror was, threw myself upon it, and bounded from its face upon the oval pool of dim light on the ceiling, assuming, as I passed, the shape of an old stooping hag who poured something from a phial into a basin. I made the handle of the spoon with my own nose, ha <laughs> ha! And the shadow hand caressed the shadow tip of the shadow nose, before the shadow tongue resumed. The old miser saw me. He would not taste the gruel that night, although his nurse coaxed and scolded, till they were both weary. She pretended to taste it herself, and to think it very good, but at last retired into a corner, and, after making as if she were eating it, took good care to pour it all out into the ashes. But she must either succeed, or starve him at last, interposed a shadow. I will tell you. And, interposed a third, he was not worth saving. He might repent, suggested a third who was more benevolent. No chance of that, returned the former. Misers never do. The love of money has less in it to cure itself than any other wickedness into which wretched men can fall. What a mercy it is to be born a shadow! Wickedness does not stick to us. What do we care for gold? Rubbish! Amen, amen, amen! came from a hundred shadow voices. You should have let her murder him, and so you would have been quit of him. And besides, how was he to escape at last? He could never get rid of her, you know. I was going to tell you, resumed the narrator, only you had so many shadow remarks to make that you would not let me. Go on, go on. There was a little grandchild who used to come and see him sometimes, the only creature the miser cared for. Her mother was his daughter, but the old man would never see her, because she had married against his will. Her husband was now dead, but he had not forgiven her yet. After the shadow he had seen, however, he said to himself, as he lay awake that night, I saw the words on his face. How shall I get rid of that old devil? If I don't eat, I shall die, and if I do eat, I shall be poisoned. I wish little Mary would come. Ah, her mother would never have served me so. He lay awake, thinking such things over and over again all night long, and I stood watching him from a dark corner, 
till the day-spring came and shook me out. When I came back next night, the room was tidy and clean. His own daughter, a sad-faced but beautiful woman, sat by his bedside, and little Mary was curled up on the floor by the fire, imitating us by making queer shadows on the ceiling with her twisted hands. But she could not think however they got there. And no wonder, for I helped her to some very unaccountable ones. I have a story about a granddaughter, too, said another the moment that speaker ceased. Tell it, tell it. Last Christmas Day, he began, I and a troop of us set out in the twilight to find some house where we could all have something to do, for we had made up our minds to act together. We tried several, but found objections to them all. At last we espied a large lonely country house, and hastening to it, we found great preparations making for the Christmas dinner. We rushed into it, scampered all over it, and made up our minds in a moment that it would do. We amused ourselves in the nursery first, where there were several children being dressed for dinner. We generally do go to the nursery first, Your Majesty. This time we were especially charmed with a little girl about five years old, who clapped her hands and danced about with delight at the antics we performed, and we said we would do something for her if we had a chance. The company began to arrive, and at every arrival we rushed to the hall and cut wonderful capers of welcome. Between times we scudded away to see how the dressing went on. One girl, about eighteen, was delightful. She dressed herself as if she did not care much about it, but could not help doing it prettily. When she took her last look at the phantom in the glass, she half smiled to it, but we do not like those creatures that come into the mirrors at all, Your Majesty. We don't understand them. They are dreadful to us. She looked rather sad and pale, but very sweet and hopeful. So we wanted to know all about her, and soon found out that she was a distant relation and a great favorite of the gentleman of the house, an old man, in whose face benevolence was mingled with obstinacy and a deep shade of the tyrannical. We could not admire him much, but we would not make up our minds all at once. Shadows never do. The dinner bell rang, and down we hurried. The children all looked happy, and we were merry. But there was one cross fellow among the servants, and didn't we plague him, and didn't we get fun out of him? When he was bringing up dishes, we lay in wait for him at every corner, and sprang upon him from the floor, and from over the banisters, and down from the cornices. He started and stumbled, and blundered so in consequence that his fellow-servants thought he was tipsy.
Once he dropped a plate and had to pick up the pieces and hurry away with them, and didn't we pursue him as he went? It was lucky for him his master did not see how he went on, but we took care not to let him get into any real scrape, though he was quite dazed with the dodging of the unaccountable shadows. Sometimes he thought the walls were coming down upon him, sometimes that the floor was gaping to swallow him, sometimes that he would be knocked to pieces by the hurrying to and fro, or be smothered in the black crowd. When the blazing plum pudding was carried in, we made a perfect shadow carnival about it, dancing and mumming in the blue flames like mad demons, and how the children screamed with delight. The old gentleman, who was very fond of children, was laughing his heartiest laugh when a loud knock came to the hall door. The fair maiden started, turned paler, and then red as the Christmas fire. I saw it, and flung my hands across her face. She was very glad, and I know she said in her heart, You kind shadow, which paid me well. Then I followed the rest into the hall, and found there a jolly, handsome, brown-faced sailor, evidently a son of the house. The old man received him with tears in his eyes, and the children with shouts of joy. The maiden escaped in the confusion, just in time to save herself from fainting. We crowded about the lamp to hide her retreat, and nearly put it out, and the butler could not get it to burn up before she had glided into her place again, relieved to find the room so dark. The sailor only had seen her go, and now he sat down beside her, and without a word got hold of her hand in the gloom. When we all scattered to the walls and the corners, and the lamp blazed up again, he let her hand go. During the rest of the dinner the old man watched the two, and saw that there was something between them, and was very angry for he was an important man in his own estimation, and they had never consulted him. The fact was, they had never known their own minds till the sailor had gone upon his last voyage, and had learned each other's only this moment. We found out all this by watching them, and then talking together about it afterwards. The old gentleman saw, too, that his favorite, who was under such obligation to him for loving her so much, loved his son better than him, and he grew by degrees so jealous that he overshadowed the whole table with his morose looks and short answers. That kind of shadowing is very different from ours and the Christmas dessert grew so gloomy that we shadows could not bear it, and were delighted when the ladies rose to go to the drawing-room. 
the gentlemen would not stay behind the ladies even for the sake of the well-known wine so the moody host notwithstanding his hospitality was left alone at the table in the great silent room we followed the company upstairs to the drawing-room and thence to the nursery for snapdragon but while they were busy with this most shadowy of games nearly all the shadows crept downstairs again to the dining-room where the old man still sat gnawing the bone of his own selfishness they crowded into the room and by using every kind of expansion blowing themselves out like soap bubbles they succeeded in heaping up the whole room with shade upon shade they clustered thickest about the fire and the lamp till at last they almost drowned them in hills of darkness before they had accomplished so much the children tired with fun and frolic had been put to bed but the little girl of five years old with whom we had been so pleased when first we arrived could not go to sleep she had a little room of her own and i had watched her to bed and now kept her awake by gambling in the rays of the night-light when her eyes were once fixed upon me i took the shape of her grandfather representing him on the wall as he sat in his chair with his head bent down and his arms hanging listlessly by his sides and the child remembered that that was just as she had seen him last for she had happened to peep in at the dining-room door after all the rest had gone upstairs what if he should be sitting there still thought she all alone in the dark she scrambled out of bed and crept down meantime the others had made the room below so dark that only the face and white hair of the old man could be dimly discerned in the shadowy crowd for he had filled his own mind with shadows which we shadows wanted to draw out of him those shadows are very different from us your majesty knows he was thinking of all the disappointments he had had in life and of all the ingratitude he had met with and he thought far more of the good he had done than the good others had got after all i have done for them said he with a sigh of bitterness not one of them cares a straw for me my own children will be glad when i am gone at that instant he lifted up his eyes and saw standing close by the door a tiny figure in a long nightgown the door behind her was shut it was my little friend who had crept in noiselessly a pang of icy fear shot to the old man's heart but it melted away as fast for we made a lane through us for a single ray from the fire to fall on the face of the little sprite 
and he thought it was a child of his own that had died when just the age of her child-niece, who now stood looking for her grandfather among the shadows. He thought she had come out of her grave in the cold darkness to ask why her father was sitting alone on Christmas Day, and he felt he had no answer to give his little ghost but one he would be ashamed for her to hear. But his grandchild saw him now, and walked up to him with a childish stateliness, stumbling once or twice on what seemed her long shroud. Pushing up through the crowded shadows, she reached him, climbed upon his knee, laid her little long-haired head on his shoulders, and said, Genpa, Ugumi, isn't it your kissy day too, Genpa? A new fount of love seemed to burst from the clay of the old man's heart. He clasped the child to his bosom and wept. Then, without a word, he rose with her in his arms, carried her up to her room, and laying her down in her bed, covered her up, kissed her sweet little mouth, unconscious of reproof, and then went to the drawing-room. As soon as he entered, he saw the culprits in a quiet corner alone. He went up to them, took a hand of each, and joining them in both his, said, God bless you. Then he turned to the rest of the company, and now, said he, let's have a Christmas carol. And well he might, for though I have paid many visits to the house, I have never seen him cross since, and I am sure that must cost him a good deal of trouble. We have just come from a great palace, said another, where we knew there were many children, and where we thought to hear glad voices and see royally merry looks. But as soon as we entered, we became aware that one mighty shadow shrouded the whole, and that shadow deepened and deepened till it gathered in darkness about the reposing form of a wise prince. When we saw him, we could move no more, but clung heavily to the walls, and by our stillness added to the sorrow of the hour. And when we saw the mother of her people weeping with bowed head for the loss of him in whom she had trusted, we were seized with such a longing to be shadows no more, but winged angels, which are the white shadows cast in heaven from the light of light, so as to gather around her and hover over her with comforting, that we vanished from the walls and found ourselves floating high above the towers of the palace, where we met the angels on their way and knew that our service was not needed. By this time there was a glimmer of approaching moonlight, and the king began to see several of those stranger shadows, with human faces and eyes, moving about amongst the crowd. He knew at once that they did not belong to his dominion. 
They looked at him, and came near him, and passed slowly, but they never made any obeisance or gave sign of homage. And what their eyes said to him, the king only could tell, and he did not tell. "'What are those other shadows that move through the crowd?' said he to one of his subjects near him. The shadow started, looked round, shivered slightly, and laid his finger on his lips. Then, leading the king a little aside, and looking carefully about him once more, "'I do not know,' said he in a low tone, "'what they are. I have heard of them often, but only once did I ever see any of them before.' That was when some of us one night paid a visit to a man who sat much alone, and was said to think a great deal. We saw two of those sitting in the room with him, and he was as pale as they were. We could not cross the threshold, but shivered and shook, and felt ready to melt away. Is not your majesty afraid of them too? But the king made no answer, and before he could speak again, the moon had climbed above the mighty pillars of the Church of the Shadows, and looked in at the great window of the sky. The shapes had all vanished, and the king, again lifting up his eyes, saw but the walls of his own chamber, on which flickered the shadow of a little child. He looked down, and there, sitting on a stool by the fire, he saw one of his own little ones, waiting to say good-night to his father, and go to bed early, that he might rise early too, and be very good and happy all Christmas day. And Ralph Rinkelmann rejoiced that he was a man, and not a shadow. But as the shadows vanished, they left the sense of song in the king's brain and the words of their song must have been something like these. Shadows, shadows, shadows all, shadow birth and funeral, shadow moons gleam overhead, over shadow graves we tread, shadow hope lives, grows and dies, shadow love from shadow eyes. Shadow word entices on to shadow words on shadow stone, closing up the shadow tale with a shadow, shadow wail. Shadow man, thou art a gloom, cast upon a shadow tomb, through the endless shadow air, from the shadow sitting there, on a moveless shadow throne, gleaming through the ages gone north and south in and out east and west and all about flinging shadows everywhere on the 
shadow painted air shadow man thou hast no story nothing but a shadow glory but ralph wrinkleman said to himself they are but shadows that sing thus for a shadow can see but shadows a man sees a man where a shadow sees only a shadow and he was comforted in himself End of The Shadows by George MacDonald